morning. Just got to check. When we were at, in Arlington, we, if I, when I spoke, I was probably, I'd get up around 12.15 or so, so, and I was in the habit of saying good morning, but it changed to good afternoon. I'm surprised. I see the Moore family here. We don't have a special music. What's up? <laughs> That's not guilt on you. It's guilt on us for not asking. No asking, no getty, right? No asking, no getty. Okay, so you hear my, my throat, and you know, my voice, but we're still going to do this because this is our practice. Oh, come, let us adore you. Oh, come, let us adore you. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Father, we praise you and give you honor and glory. Lord, I ask that the Spirit of the Lord is here and that we are changed from this moment. May you teach through your word and may you be glorified today. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen. So how many of you know what the tallest structure in the world was, a man-made, tallest man-made structure in 1900? In the year 1900, actually, I need to get my clicker real quick. Sorry, video guys. In... What was the tallest structure in 1900? Go ahead. I can, we'll accept guess. Tallest man-made structure, building, whatever. Nobody, not one person has a guess? Okay, I got Eiffel Tower over here. What? Anybody else? You probably cheated. They got the, the presentation last night. It is the Eiffel Tower. Now, the Eiffel Tower was built and stood, it was, it was built as a, and if you didn't know this, a commemoration of the French Revolution 100 years before. This was, this was asked to be built, or there were proposals to, to, for this commemoration in 1889. And it stood, at that time, I believe, 986 feet which was almost double the next tallest, which is not in the presentation. What was the next tallest? Which is in the United States of America. The Washington Monument at 555 feet. This almost doubled it. And it stood as the tallest structure in the world for about 40 years. Now, I do want to share a couple of other facts about this. Um, You know, I have never been to Paris because my budget does not lean that way. Have any of you guys been to Paris? Rich kids. So, uh, (laughs) I have never been to Paris. But you hear, and maybe it came with the, the city, that this is sort of the icon of love. That of, of the artisans and the, and the love and, and how emotion, you know, dictates how you live. But I don't know if you know, when Eiffel, this 
Mr. Eiffel, I, I forget his full name, uh, I could look it up, designed this, and it was standing there. About 300 artisans that were well-known within Paris said, take it down, like it was a wall or something. But they were, they were saying, tear it down, it is a monstrosity, it's ugly. And since Eiffel, this Mr. Eiffel, this, uh, this guy who designed this, had footed 80% of the bill, he got to keep it up for 20 years. But then, as the story goes, they were going to tear it down. The government took it over and said, we are going to tear it down because there's so much pressure. Well, what ended up happening is he's, uh, there was a proposal that they put a, an antenna on top to make it a radio. And they did that. And actually, it was a very successful thing because in World War I, that radio was used to decrypt some of the, me- the messages that were being sent. There, there was a decryption that was happening that actually brought down some of the enemies of France. It's an amazing story. I don't know if you also know this, that this same, uh, this same uh, designer also helped design the inside of another structure which is here in the United States of America, that came from France, the Statue of Liberty. This tower, maybe as a tower, the most famous tower still. You have buildings, but, but something iconic. Something that stands for something more than just a tower. I mean, if you think about 9-11, when when I think about 9-11, I think that they hit, if they're going for the states, they hit the perfect icon of buildings. When I would visit New York City and would be on the bay, I mean, that's all you see. You see, you're coming up in the ferry, and you see those towers they're icons. And so there's a legend that has followed the Eiffel Tower. And it's been used in movies. I don't know if you know this. It's changed colors. Now they, they have a color scheme that makes it sort of metalish, you know, brown. And, but it used to be yellow at one point. They painted it all yellow. I mean, it's just an interesting story that this wasn't supposed to even be here anymore. It was supposed to be torn down. So if you go to Genesis chapter 11, which isn't very far in your Bibles, there is another tower that was supposed to be established. Genesis chapter 11. And it says this, Now the whole earth used the same language in the same words. By the way, they did have different languages that you find from the chapter before, but we're not going to read that. Just read it on your own. They used the same language and the same words. And it came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They came to one another and said, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone, and they used tar for mortar. 
They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see a city and a tower which the sons of men had built. So the Lord said, behold, there are one, they are one people and they have the same language. And this is what they began to do, and nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from over the face of the earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because the Lord confused their language over the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad abroad over the face of the earth. So if you look at most depictions of what they believe Babel looked like, is large foundation, move up spirally. Actually, it's the, the, the tradition teaches that it moved up spirally as it, as it moved to the sky. And these people said, let us unite. Let's find a place. And, and I don't know if you've ever read this, but it's believed that King Nimrod was the one who spearheaded this. That he spearheaded and he said, let's find a really big space that we can move to so we can be one people. Now, Babel is believed to, to mean the gate of God originally. By the way, if you ever hear El... In, the, in Scripture, does anybody know what El means in Hebrew? God. Ezekiel, Daniel, you know, Elijah. It just means, it's, it's sort of this, this title, an abbreviated for, of Elohim. So El means God. And these people said, you know, let's build the gate of God and we will build up to heaven. But then later it became Babel. Babel, where we get the word babbling, right? But the root is believed to come from Balal. It's, it, Babel wasn't really the original root. It's Balal, which means to mix what should not be mixed. So originally, they wanted something pure and unmixed. And God says, no, I will mix what you don't want mixed. In the last century, can you think of another historical event where people said, let's make a race that's not mixed? I am reading at this current time through The Hiding Place. I've never read it. Corey Ten Boom, anybody ever read that book? And actually, within the last couple of years I've really been interested in World War II history and, and, and Hitler and what was he thinking and what was happening here uh, with, you know, with the General Eisenhower and, and Patton and, and all this stuff that's going on. And realizing if you really were from that idea, it, it, it makes sense in its own craziness. 
We want something pure. Don't we sometimes do that with Adventism? <laughs> that pureness is the epitome. And so if you do not fit what is pure within our lifestyles or whatever, then maybe you shouldn't be a part of our walls. Do you know what I'm saying? That maybe that is part of Babel. When you are just looking for purity for purity's sake. Maybe the Lord is just saying, dwell with me and I'll make pure what I need to make pure. There's this person called the Holy Spirit that will take care of it instead of you being gatekeepers, like Bill is the gatekeeper of the candy. But maybe we don't need as many gatekeepers of what people wear or what people eat. Maybe that associates a little bit more to Babel or more closely to home, to the Nazis. By the way, oh, I, I probably shouldn't tell that story. It's, it's my wife's, it's my wife's family. My, my, my grandfather-in-law, I guess, actually fought for Germany in World War II. And to listen to him, um, to listen to him talk about it is from a different perspective. And I'm not going to tell you uh, from up here exactly how he puts it, but he, several times as he started losing, uh, I'd say losing his mind, um, he would say things like, Hitler was not very bad. He wasn't a bad guy. He had good intentions. Actually, if you've ever watched, have any of you ever watched the movie The Boy in the Striped Pajamas? Anybody seen that movie? Um, sorry to spoil it. I'm going to spoil just a little bit of it. There's a part where this boy who's a, who's dad is a Nazi general. This boy is conflicted because he's meeting these Jewish people and these kids and they're so great. And then his dad says, no, they are not good people. And he's overseeing this concentration camp. And he sneaks in to see a propaganda video of what they're really doing for the Jews, according to the Nazis. They, they, these concentration camps were more that would they would play, and they, it was to protect them. And more of a, what would you call it, like a summer resort. And so the boy, at the, at, after the video's done and everybody's coming out, the general and, and his officers are coming out, the boy hugs his dad around the legs because now he feels he understands. This is for a good cause. I understand. They've had, these people in Babel had the propaganda videos. This is good. We will be stronger. Our enemies will not defeat us. We will stay pure. But that is Babel. Now, if you have your notes...
Hopefully you've been following along. What was the largest tower, by the way? Eiffel Tower. Make sure these kids are writing this down. Oh, by the way, I don't know if I... Did I give the feet? 986. 986 feet tall. That's how tall it was. Um, But a radio tower was an antenna to a radio was what saved it. It says, They said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Sin number one is, they made bricks out of clay. You say, well, why does that make, why does that matter? Now remember, remember in Egypt, what was the thing that the, that the Pharaoh did to sort of jab it right to the Israelites when Moses was making his, what did he say? Take away the straw. We're going to make it as hard as possible for them to make bricks. At this time, with the structure they were going to make, according to Jewish tradition, these were baked for months. These were huge bricks that were baked for months. Much value was put in this. And stone was not as readily available. Uh, The stone that my understanding through some of the reading that they used was like limestone, which is not very strong. So they wanted to bake these bricks. Now, according to Scripture, and even according to Hebrew, clay represents man. Did you know that? Actually, it says that um, Adam came from the dust of the ground, and that word for dust is adama, which means red, red clay. So, so in Hebrew thought, a lot of times the dust represents man. And they used clay instead of what? Stone. What does rock represent in Scripture? God. We've got solid rock versus man-made. Which one stands, uh, stands longer? So sin number one is they made bricks out of clay. Sin number two, the context, well, let's, let's read this and then, and then the context. Then they said, come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we will make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now you know, according to the context, what happened just before this in Scripture. The flood, right? Were they really trying to build to be with God in the heavens? What were they trying to do? Avoid the flood. That is it. Let's go above flood line. Then we won't be scattered. The sin number two is building the tower because they were trying to build the tower just to avoid judgment. The sin, of, the sin number two is what most of Christianity has fallen for. They want salvation just to avoid judgment. Do you understand that? There was a conversation that Francis Chan, if you know who that is, he's a famous 
Christian author that was having with somebody who didn't, whose name is Rob Bell, if you know who Rob Bell is, who, who is struggling with the idea of hell, an ever-burning hell. And Francis Chan was noted of saying, if there's no ever-burning hell, the threat of that, then why would people accept the gospel? Isn't that crazy? But that is the pervading Christian thought. And it's even in here, okay? It's, it's not outside there. It's in here. That people do and accept the relationship with Christ because they are afraid of the alternative. And we've made it that way. That is a sin of Babel. All God is saying is, I want you. That's it. And there's no other way. But if we come to God only because we're trying to avoid judgment, then we create or we do the sin of Babel. Now, this one was the one that stood out to me the most. As I read, now, I am going to make a confession here. <clears throat> and you might stone me or not. But, yeah, amen. Did I get an amen? <laughs> All right. Thank you, Tom. There is a book, and I was talking about it in Sabbath school, that to me intrigues me, and it's called the Book of Jasher. It means the Book of the Holy Ones. Now, the Book of Jasher, Yasher, is quoted in Scripture several times in the Old Testament. I like the history. It's interesting. I don't know how much of it I really... But if they felt that it was trustable enough to, to quote it, then I at least think that maybe we should revisit it. Now, as the, the book of Jasher says, when it's referring to the Tower of Babel, it says this is what they did. Because the tower became so massive and the bricks took so long to make, they would scoot them up the side. And it would take almost a full year to get to the top. Could you imagine the blood, sweat, and tears you put into that? That we would have teams on this one brick. This is your brick. It's sort of like working at Lockheed Martin, Martin or Boeing or something, and this is your project. This is your baby. It's a brick. What's yours? All right. And you would spend months weaning it off of its whatever. This is your baby. And they would take it up and haul it up. Remember, they don't have these cranes, and they're hauling up, and then people would be coming down, and it says in the book of Jasher, and it's also requoted in Talmud, that if the brick somehow got too close to the edge and fell, they would almost have a funeral for it. They would mourn and weep and cry because they had invested so much into this brick. But in building the tower, it was inevitable 
that people would fall. And it says, they took no note of it. So the brick became more valuable than the person. Do you understand this? The main sin of Babel is when the brick becomes more valuable than a person. Does what you believe supersede, does this wall, do these walls, does this, is it more important than people themselves? Let me ask you this. If I had, and I have been tempted to use this as a sermon illustration before, but I know I would get some flack for it, making sort of a, like a fake wall that looks like it belongs here and taking a spray paint can and You know, people would be up in arms. Let's stone him. Yet, we are willing to criticize somebody to their face or tear people down. That is the sin of Babel. Because this is just a building. I'm sorry, if you really want to understand Scripture and Hebraic thought, this, even this sacred sanctuary that we call it, by the way, this would not be called a sanctuary in Old Testament times. Sanctuary was a place of sacrifice. There was only one sanctuary. You know that, right? The places where they met were called synagogues to meet with. And they were used as community centers. They were used as gathering places. It was not the sacred thing that we have now. This is just a building. The church in biblical times, ecclesia, New Testament, means people, people called out. People are sacred. Because guess what? Men built this. God built you. God's finger touched every one of you. Yet, we feel more scared to touch on something like this or touch on our sacred orders of service or touch on whatever we have, any cow that we keep sacred. That is the sin of Babel. The reason we are here is people. The reason Jesus died is for people. Period. The church is people. I was so sad, and I'm not going to give you the church name. It was a couple of churches ago for me. Where there was somebody who asked to do a funeral because they were related to somebody in the church, and they didn't have a place to do their funeral, and they asked if they could do it in our church. And, the, you know, the senior and I discussed it, and said, oh, yeah, let's do it here. The, the head deaconess, was conflicted. Now, this is a non-Adventist. Was conflicted because they wanted to serve meat at the dinner after. And she told them, no, you cannot bring meat here. And I was so brokenhearted over that that I pulled her aside. I said, this isn't right. That's not right. That's not your call. 
people are more important than our sacred cows. Meat? Pun intended? No, not intended. But we have set up these structures, these towers, these bricks that have now become more valuable than people. I was happy to say I was part of this church plant years ago where the church, you know, there were probably 40 in attendance every week. But they said, we are just going, and this is down in Mobile, Alabama. This is like the heart of structure, Bible Belt. And they said, we're just going to be about Jesus. Well, I was bivocational, meaning two jobs. They didn't have enough because it was a church plant to, to pay me full time. So we worked at a coffee shop. Sorry, I didn't hear any gas. Awesome. <laughs> coffee shop. It was awesome. Actually, if you ask Anna what her favorite job ever was, coffee shop. You just get to meet tons of people. Well, three days out of the week, I opened the store. I opened five days a week. But three out of those days was uh, with this kid named Andrew. And since he's not Adventist, I'll say his name, and you won't know who he is. Um, now, Andrew was homosexual and open. But he was open with me, not with where I didn't want to, you know, but, but he was open enough to tell me, you're different. I've talked to other pastors before, and they just don't, they don't want me around. And, and he would open up, and he would talk about his desires to know God. He's like, but nobody really wants to dialogue with me. I said, well, let's dialogue. And we had a young adult group. He was 22, 23. I said, well, why don't you come? We do Bible study on Friday nights and stuff. You know, just come. There will be no judgment. And luckily, that little group of young adults that were in that church, there was no judgment. And he came. He started coming. I don't know what's happened to him. But that seed wouldn't have been planted if I said, well, my structure's already been set. I've got a brick here, and you don't fit in it. That's more valuable than you. There was a lady, after we stopped that job, before we left, we worked in an eye doctor's office. There's a lady, her name was Michael. And she worked with me, uh, specifically in uh, the optical center, where you actually get the glasses. And this lady had probably the foulest mouth, I don't know, I've ever heard on a lady. And, I mean, she would talk about going out and partying, and she would just say, and I would be praying, you know, as I'm entering in data, because that's all I did, you know, like the prices of stuff, and she'd be cussing up a storm and talking about how that customer is a bleep and bleep. And, and I man, this is, this is bad. But one day I said, hey, Michael, I know this might sound strange, would you want to come to church with me? We had built this relationship, you know, with, it was me and three ladies um, in optical. And she said, all right, I'll bring my kids. She had just, you know, she had gotten divorced a couple years before. She's like, yeah, sure. So she comes, and the, as she's leaving that first Sabbath, she goes, I guess I'm coming again. The kids like it here. So, like, 
said, all right, well, you're welcome whenever. So the second time she comes, because uh, she said, because there was food there, they had like a potluck almost every week. And the, she's like, can I bring something? I was like, yeah, bring something. And she brings chicken. She brings chicken. Uh, I said, you know, she said, uh, is this going to be a problem? Because I noticed there's no other meat here. I said, no, let's take it. It was like the first dish to go. <laughs> you know? I don't think it, I think I was putting it down on the counter and, yeah, it was gone. People are more important than our bricks. They are sacred. That is our calling. If we do not If this is not number one, then we need to close these doors. And you notice the doors that are closing when it isn't number one. People are finally realizing church is about people and people alone. What I wish we could do here is about knock out half of this sanctuary and make just a bigger foyer with like you know, coffee tables, and wouldn't that be so cool? They have like, you know, lounge chairs, you know, or that's, you know, I always had, when we set up our, in, where I worked um, previous to here, in our youth room, when I would set up as a cafe, it would be busting at the seams. Because people just want to hang out. But ministry became about people. And guess what? When you make it about people, then lives are transformed. When it's about doctrine or any of our bricks, then they aren't transformed. Let me tell you a story about, I'm not going to tell the story I was going to tell. I'm going to tell you this story because this was something that was amazing. So I went to Korea I went to Korea as a, as a missionary. It was my second year. I had gone before, and then I came back here, went to the seminary for a year, and then went back for a year because I was like, I don't think I want to be a pastor. I had a biology degree. I was like, you know, this is just something to do right now. Maybe find me a good wife. I did. <laughs> so I go to Korea, and my first term there, there every two months, um, there was a couple there. And they were in my English 2 class, and then they were also in my Bible class. And the lady, the, the wife, was a better English speaker. Um, you know, most women are better speakers than men, right? Right? They, just a little bit more. And she was just more eloquent, and she just knew better. And, um, and she worked hard at it. And she said, I want you to know this, teacher. I am not here to learn about Bible. She was in my Bible class. I am not here to learn about your God or Bible. I want to learn English better. Period. That's it. She didn't say period, but that's what she meant. No God. I just want to dialogue and learn Bible. I mean, learn English. So we go and week after week, and I would give them like worksheets, and then we'd discuss them. And near the end of the term... Her husband, who was so quiet, cause, probably because of his English, uh, he said, teacher, 
can I tell you something? This verse that we read, my wife last night was crying as she was reading it. She was crying. We want to be Christians. And they were baptized. What I loved about the institute there is we used to go and we'd go to the arcade with them. We'd really get to know our students. And they came to Christ just because we invested in people. That is what is here. What I want for us here is that people are... God is obviously supreme, but people are sacred. And the brick.